The metaverse is emerging as the next big technology platform and promises to become the next frontier for human experiences on the internet. Into the Metaverse covers companies, technologies, and trends that are bringing this promise to life. Join thought leaders Matthew Canterman, CFA, the Director of Research at Ball Metaverse Research Partners, and Jonathan Raz Friedman, founder and CEO of SuperSocial, as they interview the brilliant minds building, shaping, and investing in the Metaverse. Welcome to episode 16 of Into the Metaverse, second season, and we have a terrific conversation on tap for you today. Joining us is Paul Bettner, founder and CEO of Playful Corp. Hey, Paul. Howdy. Where they have launched two games in the Lucky's Tale franchise, as well as a sandbox creation game called Creative Verse. They are also gearing up to launch their first Web3 game called Wildcard, which is going to be a, a big topic of conversation today. Uh, prior to that, Paul was at Zynga, and he's known as creator of Words with Friends, this tiny, very tiny game. He also spent several years at Ensemble Studios, including while it was owned by Microsoft. Ensemble is known for its real-time strategy games like Age of Empires and Halo Worlds. Welcome, Paul. Wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Before jumping in, we just have a short announcement to share with you. So, Paul, before we dive in, we have a Pretty fantastic topics to cover with you today. Uh, but, you know, we just really want to make sure that our listeners can hear from you directly in, you know, one or two minutes. What is Wildcard Alliance? What's your vision for Wildcard, the game itself, and how it all came together? Just give us all a, a, a brief background. <laughs> I'll do my best. The interesting thing about Wildcard is that, uh, you know, unlike I think some other projects in the Web3 space, we've been working on this game for a long time. So going all the way back to 2017, I think the very first version of the game, it was called Timeless, I think Project Timeless at that point. It was a small team in the corner of the Playful offices that were working on a brand new prototype. And what we, we kind of had these two visions that came together. And this is typically like when you look at the work that we've done, you know, you mentioned Words of Friends, uh, Age of Empires, Lucky's Tale in VR, like we tend to, to sort of want to create games that are living at the intersection of some beloved new IP and game mechanics together with some kind of cutting edge new platform or technology. Like we like to just like smash those two things together. So Lucky's Tale was the combination of a Mario platformer in virtual reality. Words of Friends was the combination of Scrabble, if I could say that, I don't know, I could, it's probably safe enough to say that at this point, combined with the iPhone, right? For us, the thing that we were, we were so drawn to back then was this phenomenon that we were seeing beginning to happen where there were as many people, or in some cases more people, watching people play our video games than actually playing our video games. And that those communities were coming together and were, you know, you had these, these, these people building businesses out of their bedrooms by streaming their performance in video games and, and entertaining audiences. And I just, we were so, I was just amazed by this. At the same time, we had this internal desire to build a competitive game that would bring to life the fantasy of something like Pokemon, but not as an abstract, you know, like the thing about Pokemon is that those games are like, um, like if you go watch a Pokemon movie, it's this epic battle of, of this Pokemon versus this Pokemon and these, these amazing fights that happen. If you go play a Pokemon game, a lot of times it's like this turn-based, 
RPG, you know, whatever. And we were like, what would it look like if there was like kind of a grown-up version of this, like a more visceral, real-time, like I want to feel like that creature trainer in that arena battling against another champion, summoning my creatures, and, and really like I want to be down there with the action. And we were playing games like League of Legends and Overwatch and, and you know, these, these like game. we were sort of like in love with both strategy games and action games at the same time. All right, so that love we had for the kind of game we wanted to make and then that fascination we have with the technology smashed together, and that became Wildcard, which we've been working on. That's a different question than how is Wildcard now a Web3 game, which I can get into. But that was the original vision uh, and has been for Wildcard from the beginning. It's, it's basically to create the ultimate video game spectator sport. That's what we want to do. I think that's an awesome vision. That's a... It's an aggressive vision, but it's good to, to dream big and think big. I mean, no yeah, one, that's why you know, it's been five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, before we go into that, though, we do have like a favorite question we like to ask all of our guests on the podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, for you, for your team, um, and and you know, just how do you think about what the metaverse actually is? It's something that we've we've really tried to push to build a consensus around, and it's really been helpful every time to ask and. And then also importantly with that, what is the metaverse not? Because that's just as important. <laughs> okay. So I have a, a particular way of thinking about this now. It's evolved constantly as, as we've, as I think it will continue because people continue to use the word metaverse to mean different things. And so our definition of it expands and becomes more inclusive. What I think we're all talking about when we say metaverse now is we're talking about our lives, our person, our personhoods, our identities, our social connections, our, our, trend, our you know, uh, financial <laughs> holdings, everything moving online. And us having a life that is becoming progressively more about the time we spend online together with each other as much as it is the time we spend in person together. I think when people, I, I've, I, you know, again, and it's been hard to try to track what different, what everybody means when they say the metaverse, but I think generally what they're talking about is they're talking about that. They're talking about a next generation of, of human activity that is centered online and that that's a pretty big change from the way it was in the last hundred years. And I think that's why they, why we all talk about it as this big thing is because it is a big deal for these kind of interactions that we're having to begin to move to an entirely online experience. And I think that's what the metaverse means. I, I really like that because people like to talk about a specific technology. The metaverse is VR. The metaverse is a blockchain. When reality, the metaverse is a platform and it's really driven by social human behavior. And so the way you describe it is exactly that. This, you know, this is driven by human behavior. We're naturally social people. People and that's, and that's what heard I, me talk about this. That, that's what I think people are, are saying when they're saying the metaverse. They're describing a new form of human behavior that is online-centric and is where we're living out our lives online. And that's what the metaverse is. Now, what it isn't, because you asked that question too, is it's not one technology. It's not even one platform. It's not even one protocol or one blockchain or one whatever it's not that it's a it's a new type of human behavior and then it's a bunch of products and platforms and everything else that, that come in to support that new desire we all have which is to live our lives on in that in that in that way 100 percent. and i'll just give i'll give a quick plug for for my new boss his book is out matthew ball uh how the metaverse and how it will revolutionize everything go get it anywhere you can find it it's fantastic awesome. uh that, that's just a plug <laughs> i do i do want to reiterate paul on what you said just for for our listeners because i um 
And the reason I want to reiterate that is because, you know, as someone who comes from social sciences, I'm not, I'm not an engineer. When, when I started Super Social almost two and a half years ago, it was because I was captivated by the paradigm shift of human behavior where suddenly it was clear that everyone is going to be online because we can't go out, we can't connect with people. And, and so when people talk about COVID is accelerating the metaverse, I think what COVID did, it accelerated the shift in human behavior. Exactly and, I, and I love how you described it, which, and I want to quote you, which is next generation human activity centered online which I think this is what a lot of people need to think about when they think about the metaverse, not necessarily the tech. At the end of the day, most people are not going to understand the tech. They're not going to care about the tech. And they may end up calling all of this the internet. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the notion of us really starting to manifest our being as people into ever-growing, ever-more-immersive virtual realms. That's what I think you're describing. That's exactly it. I mean, look at like COVID is a good example. Look at the impact that COVID had on education. And suddenly a bunch of people realize, you know what? You could actually get a good education online. <laughs> like you don't necessarily have to show up in person. That hasn't created an immediate constant shift, but it, it sort of, you could see how it directly accelerated everybody in that direction. And so now of course you'll see a bunch of platforms emerging that are all about allowing education to be powerful and successful as in an online environment. And then, and then what you'll eventually have is you'll have full schools and colleges and everything else that are completely online. Obviously we already have that, but you'll start to see that becoming dominant. And then people say, well, that's, that's the metaverse of education or whatever, <laughs> like that's happening in every field. And that's what the metaverse is. It's not one thing or one platform in that way. I completely agree. And so just, you know, we like to ask this as well after the first question that what is the metaverse and this is prescient for you because you're building in web3 and in blockchain how does how do collectively web3 technologies blockchain crypto nfts etc fit into how you think about what the metaverse is just given what you just told us so i wish there was an easy way to to describe this um Probably one of my favorite thinkers in this space is Chris Dixon, who's at Andreessen, who's been describing this stuff for a while. And he just has a way, like he gets very technical. And so that's why it's difficult to explain this stuff in a simplified way, or, or he hasn't, and I haven't found a way to do that. But the best word that I have for it is protocol. So in web two, we had a bunch of predefined protocols that never changed. HTTP, or they evolved very slowly. HTTP, TCP IP, SMTP for email, uh, certain chat protocols or whatever, they got locked in and then certain companies would build platforms around them and that was it. The fundamental thing about Web3 is it allows us as builders to rapidly create and deploy a protocol into the world and to a community and to, and to quickly change and evolve that and adapt that protocol. And that's what is so powerful about these technologies. It's not tokens. It's not even financialization. In fact, Financialization is just one application of the ability to create a protocol for transaction between two, two people that is a financial transaction, but you can do so much more that when you have the ability to rapidly create a protocol that is then in the public domain that people can say, yeah, I subscribe to that protocol, I'm gonna start using it to do whatever it is. Like in the case of Wildcard, it's about social competitive co co connections and about building competitive social networks effectively, like the kinds of things that exist in the world of sports, bringing those in, online and allowing people to create those kind of networks using that protocol. But the, but those protocols can be applied to anything. And that's what I think people don't 
quite yet grasp because so much of the focus is on the financialized protocols and not really what what this technology can actually it's, do. It's almost like the worst thing that happened to Web3 <laughs> is the financialization <laughs> aspect of it, right? It's true. It's true. Um, it, it, right? It's, it's like... Very, it's very challenging, honestly, as a game developer because financialization can in some cases be the enemy of good game design. It creates extrinsic rewards that push against the intrinsic fun that you're actually trying to deliver, the entertainment that you're trying to deliver. And so finding a way for those two things to live in harmony is, is, a, is a significant challenge, I think. But that's a separate topic. So, so that's a great, actually, that's a great kind of, you know, opportunity to switch gears back to wildcard and really focus on, on, on the uniqueness of what you guys are creating. You know, the ambition of the game is quite large, as Matthew kind of subtly described earlier, not just because of the gameplay itself, uh, but also because of the embedded nature of spectator in fueling the growth and the community. And so, you know, when we look at esports ecosystem out there, there's only a handful of games that really control the sort of upper echelon or, or let's say the market share of esports spectatorship. How do you, and also the, the, the players themselves. And so how do you plan to foster an audience and, and kind of propel Wildcard to be really in those top echelons of the market while you're creating a social flywheel effect to get the community really, really engaged? Well, I know that's, I know that's a big question, which, which, which probably, go ahead. It's great. Because if I could describe exactly what our goal is, I would want to have the quote of what you just said. It's literally those two things. It's creating a, a, a spectacularly fun evergreen game that you, that you could imagine people wanting to play decades from now. That's the Age of Empires effect, right? Like that's, that's what, we have to do that. If we don't do that, none of this, the rest of this works, okay? Then also we have to create that social flywheel at the same time and we have to bring those two things together. The way that we're handling that, tackling that is a couple different things. Um, it starts with bringing together the best team I've ever worked with and then getting them a crap ton of money. <laughs> because it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of time. And, and actually, just to be completely to transparent about this, one of the things we discovered about Wildcard early on, or maybe actually it wasn't early on, if I'm honest, it took us a couple of years to realize, oh shit, we, we just signed ourselves up for a content heavy game because it's kind of this Pokemon thing where people are expecting a lot of creatures and a lot of collectibles and a lot of content. Uh, but then we also said it's going to be like AAA quality. So we can't just create like a Pokemon card and be like, there it is, we're done. Like this thing has to be animated, rigged, modeled, and, and be at this AAA quality level. And we realized at the time that we had created something with an explosive budget, like with something that was, that was quite challenging in terms of the content load. We've, we've come to understand better how we can manage that over time. But to, to what I was saying, we we needed to have an amazing team in place and we needed to raise enough money to be able to see this game through to the quality level that came together with this incredible partnership we had already you know while playful is a self-funded studio and so we had already put a lot many millions of dollars in the development of wildcard from investors we've raised 50 million dollars before paradigms investment uh to, for the creation of these franchises this ip that we're building and then we brought Paradigm in and, and a handful of other strategic investors like Griffin uh, and raised $46 million. That gives us the runway that we need to secure the time that we need to develop a game that can be of that quality. Because if there's one thing that I learned working on the Age of Empires games, you can't, you can't, there's, there's not actually a silver bullet to getting to a game that is that good, that is that sticky, that people will be playing decades from now, other than just 
the cycle of playtest, iterate, improve, playtest, iterate, improve. It just takes And time. just having the runway to figure it out, right? And just having the runway to figure it out. And, and again, I, I just want to repeat what you said, that the, the amount of capital you guys have raised, even in a, in a time where money was yes, very right. available and also doing so from non-gaming companies. Griffin is a gaming uh, uh, fund, yes. and as a disclaimer, you know, one of Super Social's investors. But, oh, but yes, <laughs> wonderful fund, wonderful people. Yeah, Big there. shout out to the folks over there. But, but Paradigm is 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 a Web three crypto blockchain fund, right? Uh, founded by a former Sequoia partner and 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 the former co-founder of of Coinbase. And so that is a testament to, I think, the level of ambition um, that Wildcard has. But as a as a as an anecdote, or maybe as a joke. Paul, if you ever get into challenges with building it, uh, then I'm inviting you. We can build it together very rapidly on, on Roblox. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Just, just keep it in mind. <laughs> I, think, I think the paradigm investment is a, is a pretty fascinating way to talk about um, the difference in what we're trying to do. Because the reason that I think the thing that they found in us and the reason that they were willing to make such a strong investment in what we were doing um, is because they see what's happening in the Web3 space and they see that that flywheel, that was a good word for it, that you can actually attach that flywheel to almost anything and it, gener and it can generate tremendous value from uh, because of the incentivization structures that it can exist. So they look at that and I think they, they ask the same question I do, which is now imagine if that was actually attached to a game as amazing as Age of Empires or as Overwatch or as anything else. Imagine if you took the millions of players, not the tens of thousands of people that tune into the, to the top crypto games right now. Those audiences are tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny compared to what we're used to in like PC and console game development, right? Imagine if you brought in the people with a great, and you're not going to bring them in by creating another financial protocol. You're going to bring them in by having great gameplay. That's it, period. And the thing that convinced Paradigm is they actually have several gamers on staff they played the game with us and they heard our vision and they saw that what we were building was real and was focused on that long-term value, not some sort short-term tokenization or whatever else. And, and I think that that's what they believe in. That's certainly what I believe in too. That's the only way that we get past games where we're celebrating a couple hundred thousand players and get to the to, to our actual audiences. But, but Paul, how do you, and there is growing now, growing kind of evidence even there was a report, I think, from a few days ago from Delphi Digital, where there is a growing discontent and lack of excitement, to say the least, from the wider core gamer community. And so a question I have for you, and, and it's okay if you haven't really figured it out, that would be totally normal. How do you guys are thinking about not only eliminating some of the negativity, but actually turning that massive sour lemon to a sweet, delicious lemonade and attracting a community of gamers because you will need real gamers into something like a lot like like Wildcard, um, especially yeah. to avoid that that frenetic obsession with the fin financialization aspect of, of Web3 games. That's right. I, I think and again, I think we paradigm anyone can like close their eyes for a second and picture five years from now, what are gonna be the winning crypto games? They're gonna all just be really great games. Like there's not a question in any of our minds, right? So it has to start by investing in and taking the time to build really great games. Cause it does take time, it does take investment, whatever. But 
to your question, this was actually one of the key things we asked ourselves initially as we were making this decision uh, to, to bring Web3 as a technology into Wildcard. And I can talk about why and why that, that's such a great fit. But to make that decision, we had to say, we know there's all this negativity and toxicity and, and, and hate, honestly, and, and uh, fear and that comes along with or, or that is inherent in gamers, core gamers' perception of Web3 right now. And my first response to that is, of course, that's completely deserved. Like, there's a lot of people who are in this space and they're like, yeah, they're idiots for feeling that way. I can't believe they're so, they hate NFTs and they hate crypto. They're just dumb. They're missing out. And I'm like, really? They're missing out on a $600 million Axie Infinity heist? They're missing out on, like, getting their NFTs rugged every five minutes? They're like, no, they're not missing out on anything. They are absolutely correct to be to be at best skeptical and at worst negative on this space right now. So then, you, then so, so it starts with an honest assessment of yes, of course, that that sort of fear and anxiety or whatever is deserved. But then, well, then how could that change? It can only change through one way, which is there has to be a game that they want to play that uses those technologies that calls itself a Web three game or a metaverse or whatever. If that game is good enough, they, to your point earlier, they're not going to care about the technology. They're just going to be like, there's a game over there. I want to play it. And then somebody will be like, do you know that's a Web3 game? They're like, okay, whatever. I'm having fun. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> like, that's, so we, we cannot convince gamers who are, who are initially extremely skeptical about, especially what's happened over the last couple of years with Web3 gaming, to trust that the future is gonna be bright for Web3 gaming. What we have to do is we have to speak with our actions, not with our words. We have to create great games and they have to be games that they, they can't resist. And then that will convince them. My favorite inspiration in this space is Nintendo because Nintendo has done this to me several times in my career. I don't know, or my life. I don't know if they've done this to you where, uh, my favorite one was when they announced the DS, the, the Nintendo dual screen with the two and it had the stylus. And I saw that thing and my initial reaction was, that's the dumbest. I don't want that. Like, what? Like, it's two screens and you have a stylus that looks off door. Like, I don't understand why I'd want to play this. And then Nintendo created games on that system that I couldn't resist. And then I ended up loving my Nintendo DS. And it totally made sense, the strategy and everything else. They've done that over and over again. Uh, and, and I think that's what we have to do. We have to be like, if we were Nintendo and, and one of our research departments just handed us a blockchain and said, here's our next Nintendo console is called the Nintendo blockchain. Go make the next Mario or Zelda for it, and you're Miyamoto. You're gonna figure out how to make a great game but, out of so, that technology. So, Paul, I wanna, so I wanna double click. I wanna double click on that because you're obviously not only an accomplished yeah. and experienced game developer, but you're also a, a thoughtful creator with a clear vision. And so, let's double click on what were some of the key considerations that ultimately led you guys to evolve your vision for Wildcard to include and to be ultimately focused and based on. Web3 technologies. So the key consideration for us is that Wildcard from the beginning is designed to be a game that is not just meant for the competitors. It's designed to create an ecosystem of con competitors connecting with fans, connecting with uh, and, and being streamers to audiences, to having these different roles that can exist in that community, whether it's somebody who owns and manages a team, a coach that trains competitors, the, compet the sponsors that show up, like there's, there's this universe of different roles that exists within the games that we play. 
But as video game developers, we typically only cater to the competitors. We say, you're only a customer and you're only a player when you install the game. Like, we're, we're not calling the people that tune in to watch on YouTube or Twitch. We're, not, we're, not, we're saying, well, you're not a customer of ours yet, but you will be when you install the game if you're convinced that this is fun. I think the, the mentality shift for us with Wildcard was, what if we treated that entire audience as our players, whether they install the game or not? And what that led us to was, okay, well, then we, start, we need to start thinking about how to build protocols and platform that can connect these people. Because right now, if you log into Twitch and you play Fortnite and you have 10,000 people watching you, the experience of playing Fortnite is no different than if you have zero people watching you. The game has no idea that that's even happening. It's like a completely separate experience. And, and our question was, well, what, what would it look like to design a game where that wasn't invisible, where those people who were showing up to watch and everybody who was coming in as part of that community was a part of the game's universe, not just the people who were down on the field competing. So then to, to finally, to answer the question, we started to build some of that ourselves. Again, this is going back five years. We started to like try to build technologies that would connect Twitch and Discord and, and what have you and tr create the ability for our players to transact with each other and to, to like have that, be able to build those social networks inside of the competitive framework of Wildcard without even necessarily being players. Somebody could just be a fan and show up and start to generate value in that ecosystem. Then last year when I finally got over the, I, I, several years I bounced off Web3, I was like, this is bullshit. I don't, <laughs> you know. Finally last year I dived into it uh, as kind of a, an interested engineer. I was like, I'm gonna learn this technology. I'm just gonna like write some code and see what it's like. And I finally understood it and I realized this is actually the thing that we've been trying to build ourselves. Like this platform, this technology provides that infrastructure, that protocol that can allow us to connect in those various people and create a, a connected network or ecosystem for Wildcard. So that's the reason. So it's like, it's like for us, it's, it's just a lot of Web3 projects start as there's this great technology, now let's build a product or a game on top of that. For us, it was like we were building this game that had this original vision and then Web3 came along and we're like, that's the technology we needed for this. Let's let's use it. I think what you said at the end there is, is best. There's so many pitches in Web3 that it's just like, it's basically just finance bros like myself that are like, hey, gaming's a big market. Let's go <laughs> find a way to shill our NFTs over in gaming now. And it's completely financialized. And, and Web3 is only the latest example of when you over-financialize gaming, it ends horribly and gamers hate it. I mean, we saw yeah. it with microtransactions, if everyone remembers Star Wars Battlefront 2 and how disastrous yes. that was for EA. Or Diablo 3. Diablo, Diablo 3, 3, exactly. So there's been numerous uh, examples of this without Web3 involved. And so I think what you just kind of summed up and what you were saying there was really prescient. And, you know, we were going to ask about it. I think you kind of answered it already. It's, you know... You know, when we think about on-ramping, what some people call the normies, you know, the the, crypt, yeah. the the we have the crypto natives, and they're the ones that are the tens of thousands of users in Axie and everything. But there's hundreds of millions and billions of gamers that don't play in Web three right now. And how do we get those, you know, the, the those non-crypto natives involved in Web three games? Is exactly I think what you're saying is similar to what Yon said about the metaverse. When people use the metaverse, they'll just think it's the internet. When people should be playing Web3 games, they should just be thinking it's a fun game, and then, oh, I get to own something. Cool. But at least the game is fun. I mean, we can't lose sight of fun in all of this. So I, I want to... That's such a... That's exactly right. And I, I wanted to 
So I tell you guys um, briefly what my current thoughts are on that, because you brought it up. It's a perfect segue to something that's been on my mind a lot lately, which is I don't want to leave anyone behind. So we have considered strategies from the beginning that were like, well, what if we only focus on the, the couple hundred thousand crypto native uh, you know, folks, and that's our audience, and we just try to build the perfect product for them? And then I've also had us, we've also swung the other direction and said, you know what, what if we don't worry about these couple hundred thousand because we're aiming for tens of millions and so like, we just, let's just ignore those people and leave them behind for now and go focus on that and eventually they'll catch up or whatever. In either of those, I've been like, no, I don't want to leave anyone behind. I don't want to leave anyone outside. I don't like to just like have people at my door saying, hey, I want to come in and enjoy what you're doing and I'm like, sorry, we're not, you're not welcome here. So I think at least what we're focused on right now is connecting those two communities. And I think the breakthrough for me over the last year in thinking about this has been realizing that their goals are not the same. So they may be using the same technologies, but our, our purpose and our mission is actually to connect these people who have different goals in a way where their goals complement each other and where they build value for each other. So for instance, you might have some, some fo somebody coming in who's a crypto native person who has a lot of money that they want to invest in the game and the IP that's different, and, and that person may not necessarily be like, I'm gonna be the best competitor in this game. They might be somebody who's like, look, I love the potential of this game, I love the IP, I love the entertainment you're creating here. I wanna, I wanna grow value alongside this IP, right? That's a different, a very different goal than maybe 10 million of those other people who wanna come in and play something, or even just tune in to watch. My goal right now is to figure out how to bring those two people together in a way where they're benefiting each other. And that's what Web3 allows us to do. It allows us to build a protocol for that. Like, just to give you a simple, dumb example, some, some, somebody buying a team and creating and owning their own team, this is what happens in, in sports and esports all the time. That's, that's an example of what I'm talking about. You've got Mark Cuban with a ton of money, but he's not down on the field playing the game, and, but he's really connected, he's attached, and he loves it, and, and, and you have the competitors and you have the fans showing up, you have this entire ecosystem of people taking these different roles. And I think what Web3 does, it lets us build that online. To the earlier thing that we were talking about, the metaverse is bringing these concepts online. And what we're trying to do with Wildcard is we're trying to bring the joy of competition and of participating as a fan and showing up at the stands in the arena or if your favorite competitor or even being Mark Cuban, we're trying to bring that all to life uh, with these technologies and with this game. So switching gears from that, uh, Paul, one of the things we talked about, which was actually a, a reinvigorating conversation before we started the recording today, um, we were talking about creators and the power of really democratizing game development and game creation. And to be honest, as we move into the future, and we talked about that with, you know, Craig Donato, the chief business officer of Roblox, we talked about it with Rev, who leads the Omniverse and Simulation division at, at, at NVIDIA. And there is this sort of shared, consistent vision that as time passes, many, many more millions of creators, just like what happened with YouTube and Instagram, are going to be building things in 3D for the metaverse, in metaverse platforms, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have a point of view and a possibly a vision of how that creator movement of 3D experiences and how it fits into your vision for Wildcard? Yeah, I... I don't know if I'm ever going to be interested in working on a project 
that doesn't fit into that vision. <laughs> like maybe, maybe there'll be some other like major change that happens in our industry that'll get me excited about some new movement. But the movement I've been most excited about for the last 10 years, I mean, going back to when we all started playing Minecraft, longer than 10 years ago, has been, oh my gosh, this is incredible. This is connecting creators and consumers together using the medium of video games. And that's all I've wanted to be a part of since then. We've worked on projects like that. Wildcard is 100% about that for us because it, it, and this has been, again, this was a little hard for us initially as a team. We had to shift our mindset to realize we're not just building a game with Wildcard. If we're doing our job well, we're building a platform that people can use to entertain audiences. That's what these games are. That's what Fortnite ends up being for that streamer who's working their ass off eight hours a day for some pennies and ad dollars from, from Twitch. And by the way, on that point, this is the re another reason that I'm so passionate about this, enthusiastic about this. The business models that exist for those folks right now are just terrible. They're terrible. They're, they, they, they're killing themselves to create entertainment that is massively entertaining to millions of, of people, my children included, and they get just a fraction of the value of what they're creating. I think that Web3, certainly for what we're doing with Wildcard and hopefully with other types of products and platforms, is going to be able to, to just blow that sort of old model away and, and, and so to your point, with Wildcard, we are trying to build, for this particular case, the ultimate spectator sport, which doesn't just mean the ability to tune in, it means the ability to use Wildcard as to put on a great show for the people who are tuning in to watch. As a competitor, you should be able to express yourself and really put on a performance that is super entertaining to as many people as possible. And the better that we can make Wildcard into a tool for that, the, the more it's gonna succeed on that vision for us. I think that's that's really powerful because you know this this whole creator economy and we, we were talking about it before we started recording with Roblox in particular, right? It's like, and I like the story you gave, so I want you to tell it. But we were talking about how you know we're we're at this critical juncture for Roblox and and Minecraft and other platforms like it, where the big creators now were the first generation of players of it, and you know they've grown up with these platforms, and now they're able to go right in and start making things. And I think that's, you know, just, that's kind of changing the game of game development, right? It's such a powerful thing. Like, when I was, you know, 16 or 15 or whatever, and I playing Mario or Zelda, or I mean, those, for me, it was, I was a Nintendo kid, um, not a Sega. I did like Sega, but I was a Nintendo kid anyway. So, so this is how that went. I would play the game and then I would dream about being a game developer someday. And then in my mind, that dream looked like, all right, I'm gonna play a lot of games, I'm gonna understand them, I'm gonna learn coding, I'm gonna go to college, I'm gonna apply, I'm gonna, 15 years later, I might get to make a video game of my own. And today, a Roblox player can play a game on Friday and then be like, I'm gonna make a game on Saturday and publish it on Sunday and my friends are gonna play it on Monday. Like, that's insane, that is so cool. I don't even know what I would have done with that as a kid, but, that is the most amazing thing happening in, in my mind. And, and, and like I said, I'm only interested now in working on platforms that connect creators together with the people who are playing. Uh, that, that's just the most fascinating thing to me that's happening. And, and I think this is also at the core, and maybe this is a, a sort of a great place to, to conclude the conversation on, is that sort of what you said earlier around next generation human activity centered online, it's not just about consumption. It's about consumption. It's about creation and ultimately it's about connection, right? 
It's it's bringing it's all, all of about all of those <laughs> things together, uh, which is why this new frontier is 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 really driving all of the big technology companies as well as thousands of aspiring entrepreneurs and ventures because I think it is clear that whatever it ends up looking like, it's going to be the next frontier of, of, of human interaction, right? And 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 that's why it's so powerful and that's why it's so yeah. scary to a lot of people as well because it will change yeah. a lot of things, including what is the economy looks like when you have majority of the world population interacting 24-7-365 in massive, immersive 3D virtual spaces. Yeah. What does identity mean? What does friendship mean? What is like all these things? Those are, those are big, scary questions. But, you know, technology has a way of ignoring how scared we are at things and just doing its thing anyway. So I like to I like to focus more on 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 how we can adapt and how we can all be healthy and try to create a more sustainable way of of sort of encountering those things as they're coming at us rather than trying to like hold back the inevitable flood that technology causes like there's no way um but but yeah i mean i i'm i'm so fascinated by by what you guys are saying and by this by the shift that's happening i think you know at the beginning of the conversation we were i was struggling to define what what is how do you describe what's exciting about web3 but i think you just said it Jan. i think it is the ability to connect people in new ways is what web3 provides when i talked about the word protocol that's that's kind of I, i'm sure i don't know exactly the definition in the dictionary of protocol but it has to have something to do with a thing that connects people right or connects two things together and i what web3 allows us to do is build those protocols build those new ways of connecting people with a in a way we could never do before we had to use the protocols that were already there now we can actually build our own protocols which changes the game and that's what Web3 is actually about. It's not about tokenization. It's not about financialization. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about what we were just saying. So this is a great place to conclude. First of all, Paul, thank you again for joining us. Congratulations to you and the team for this really wonderful journey. And you know, we're all excited to see Wildcard come to life and possibly and hopefully own one of the teams. So you know, to be continued <laughs> on that. And for our audience who want to learn more about Paul and, and Wildcard, uh, go to wildcardgame.com. Uh, you can find a lot of more information about the game, about what Paul and his team's vision is. Uh, and of course, if, if you like the episode and you like what we're doing in the podcast, you know, go find us on, on Substack and, and all the podcast platforms. Paul, thank you so much for being with us again. And it was, it was a delightful conversation. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I look forward to inviting new people to, like you mentioned, Wildcard Game, especially showing up in our community. We are having a blast connecting with our fresh new thousands of people that have just been pouring into discord so show up if you want to be a part of the conversation we'd love to go on that journey with you thank you thank guys you. for having us for having me